Howdy, memes. Welcome to the Meeple Syrup Show. Welcome to the show. As you notice, there is nobody with pink hair. Oh, there is somebody with pink hair. I totally lied. I didn't see that until because it's behind your headset. Uh, but Jesse's not here tonight. And also, he does not have pink hair right now. He has blonde hair. Very different. Uh, but Jesse couldn't make it tonight because he left London at 2 a.m. this morning. And uh, he hasn't slept since yesterday morning. So that's where he is. He is asleep. And so, Sorry, Jesse. in his absence, yeah, we brought on our resident expert um, on all things game-wise, uh, Andrew Wolf, uh, coming on from Mondo Game. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Um, hi, Zach Connolly. Hi to Jamie Jones and Corey Muddleman. Nice to see you all in the mix. I see that uh, Jay is watching as well. My brother from another mother out in BC. So we're all here. Gonna t- we're going to be talking about in-game avatars. Why does this interesting departure from what we normally talk about? <laughs> and um, Erica, what do we mean by that? Well, like, we're like, how, do, how does a game kind of represent you? So, I mean, we're going to look a little bit at the idea that we went everything from, like, Hogan circles, little colored objects. And, I mean, obviously, those still exist today. But then different ideas of how that evolves or how we want to represent or see ourselves in a game. And that could be anything from being a cube to being a full wizard mini with, like, flames flying out of your hands. Okay, just before we start... Is there an airplane going over somebody's Yeah, there's an airplane or something. What is it? It's my house. Okay, I gotta say, Andrew, you might want to mute yourself when you're not talking. I can do that. Apparently, hey, sorry about this. Oh, no worries. Uh, Jamie Jones says, hi, Andrew. Hi, so, Jamie. Huh, let's talk about in-game avatars. So, historically, uh, if we look at the, I call it the history of avatarism. I don't think that's actually the word for it, avatarism. Sure. We'll it's now it's somewhere because you invented it. Yeah, right? Um, where, What's the first time you remember a game having little pieces that were people or that represented you in a game. Andrew, what do you think? Uh, Actually, I can remember all the way back to, I think, what was my first memory playing board games? Shoots and Ladders. Like, we were all starting at the bottom of that, or you guys call something different, don't you? Snakes and Ladders. ladders. Snakes and Ladders. Right, but we were all playing as those children trying to ascend up to the top of that game board. And, I mean, I could, I very now still have a visceral memory of, like, moving my little piece up the little ladders and sliding him back down the the chutes uh so you know very early on i mean you could go back to things like candy land as well it's like we are represented in some fashion by an avatar a character that represents us in some setting whether it's climbing up and down chutes and ladders or running around a, a candy kingdom uh so it's kind of baked into to gaming from the really initial uh experiences that i think we all have as kids <clears throat> and erica was mentioning some before we started the show that were actually like super poignant when she mentioned it. it's like oh my gosh yes so um, I, I think this is a really important we'd like to trash a certain game in the hobby world and i think maybe a little unfairly but i think this is a great time to talk about how much it shine and probably changed a lot of things and especially a lot of things within you know the, the whole line around this kind of did the same thing and i think that's monopoly mm-hmm. so a lot of the times you mm-hmm. think of yourself as being like a, a colored peg moving around a board half the time right you represented just by a color how many people have a favorite token in 
Monopoly. The idea of the actual physically shaped object that people will fight over. Not like oh, yeah, I get, yeah. I get color fights, but usually like you know you can see color fights. Oh, no, I, I feel like Jones, I'm the dog. I am the dog. That's it. Like everybody's like guaranteed that you have a, a thing that, that is your Monopoly piece. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And I don't think that yep. necessarily gets enough credit. Yes, it's a track move, but I mean it's one of the original track moves. So, yeah. but it, it, think about like what that means. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And how many other attachments we have to a game at that level right. because of a token, because of the, your avatar. Yeah, and the other the other one that you mentioned was life, the game of life, where mm. you might have a different colored car, but you're putting those little pink and blue pegs in your car. Like, how do you mean something? That? Literally means something. I mean, obviously, there's some some gender stereotypes in there, but still, still. Yeah. Uh, and then we were. <laughs> Sorry, Nate and Murray we... is saying, uh, take the horse with the iron on its shoulder and make it a knight. Okay. <laughs> All right, thanks. Yeah, and and <laughs> to that uh, to that degree, also uh, Clue, and, and I think Clue is interesting because it takes it even a step further because you actually are playing as a character. You know, yes. you are Professor Plum, you are Colonel Mustard. Done it. So yeah, you know, it you are you are taking on a role in that game and not just saying, well, I'm the thimble or I'm the horse or I'm you know uh, a little car. Uh, it, it has you know those characters have personalities baked into them and people have associations with them so yeah, i mean it's baked I mean, into so all the so plastics they've made, they've made movies about them right? good movies mm-hmm. i think they're making another one <laughs> are they yeah yeah i think they are um, it's, it's a cult classic so why not right uh cory muddleman is say muddleman sorry is saying uh hero quest was uh his favorite avatars when he was growing up uh if you haven't played hero quest it's like a the kind of quintessential primordial dungeon crawler type game out there so uh it's cory i want i want cory to tell us what the best thing about hero quest is okay we'll, we'll find right. out what the answer to that is shortly <laughs> yeah so people in the feed please give us your answer what is your favorite game piece to use as your avatar uh all through the night we'll be posting those up on the screen so we talked about life we talked about monopoly even all the way from you know checkers where you have little round discs uh but well, i guess chess might be yeah. a good evolution yeah. of how that really is different right that that mm. idea of that visual representation and i think that and we'll i think we'll talk more about this later but almost like that tactileness of like those pieces and the actual size differences mm-hmm. and what that means and i don't know it's very maybe a, you know you get right away what you're supposed to be seeing yeah it's like the original tabletop minis war game right it really it is uh, kind of yeah yeah <laughs> i mean um, obviously games existed before that like go but uh, i can't think it's of a game a really before that one. where the the pieces were actually sculpted and they had unique uh characteristics to them i mean so much so that now i mean there's a whole industry around custom chess games too mm-hmm. uh using you know favorite themes and licenses <laughs> so you know, people love to to immerse themselves in any way you can get like sculpted pieces on the tabletop uh of your favorite characters you're going to immediately be more engaged in what's going on in front of you mm-hmm. Wait, why, why do you think that is why is that so important to people you know i was gonna say i think a big stem of this might even be somewhat connected to like why people like to RPG, but at the same time to then have an actual visual representation in front of you on what that stands for. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think we like to have this imagination or projection of like what we are, you know what I mean? Especially like, and well, I think, well, this might be another topic to get into as well is the idea that if I want to have a very thematic or immersive experience, I need to see myself as something. So it's it's not that easy to do when you're just a colored 
piece. But if I have a physical object that I'm looking at that says, like, for example, you know, a, a knight in chess, I'm seeing, a, I'm seeing that horse and what that represents, or I'm seeing, you know, kind of like that piece as like, that's my, that's who I am right now. <clears throat> oh, Andrew's, Andrew's, <laughs> Andrew's audio you. is quite loud. Uh, it's okay. We still like him. Uh, Andrew, what about you? Um, why do you think, or do you definitely need to have an avatar in a game? And what does that psychologically mean to you? Uh, yeah, I definitely prefer to play a game where I can take on a role. And whether that's, you know, just a player board or card in front of me uh, to at least give me some idea of what I'm doing in the game. But even more so, if I've got some kind of piece to create some emotional resonance for, <laughs> it's going to be a more immersive experience. And I know I talk about that all the time when I'm talking about a game design and creating immersive experiences. But every touch point that you can create from from the art, whether it's, you know, just uh, a card in front of you or a sculpted piece that you're physically manipulating on a board, I think it helps draw people in. So, yeah, I'm always going to, to lean to something that allows me to, you know, better immerse myself in the experience. And I think the, the experience is always better for it. Okay, cool. I always thought that, uh, see, I'm not one of those role-playing gamers that need a miniature on a board somewhere. I actually hate that. I'm more of a put it in my head and I'll do it all in my head. Uh, yeah, I, I don't like them. I don't like like fourth, fourth edition for me was like the worst of all the D&Ds because it basically made it into this tactical war game instead of a role-playing mm -hmm. game. Um, not that D&D originally wasn't a tactical war game because Chainmail totally was, but um, the idea of having an avatar for me, I, I find it deeper in my head than I do on, on the board. But I think that it's very valuable on the board. Let's think about what do we use in games right now? And, and what's the difference between like a pawn, a meeple, a standee, and, and then the minis, you know, the all-encompassing minis that we see, you know, just plaguing Kickstarter like some kind of zombie horde. Um, what do you think? What's the difference between them all that we can define them? Uh, for our viewers and then when would you use each one in a different game and why what do you think all right well, at what level of, of basicness do we want to start well, and then work our way up okay let's start at pawn okay, are like, different than meeples physically so. yes in rep physically i mean you know what the one nice thing might be is that i think pawns at their core are supposed to represent a somewhat vague human figure Mm -hmm. And then meeples took it to that next level and actually became humans. They added the arms. Like it, right. it's it's no more like it's that one less level of abstraction mm -hmm. that you know what I mean. Like it really is like a pawn is just a head and a body, and then you know even though we now consider meeples abstract, at least meeples are physical people. Right, right, right. Uh, and then meeples, I guess, are going to be those like three-dimensional, but really two-dimensional extruded pieces of wood mm -hmm. that can stand up on the board okay. Um, or lie down or whatever. Or lie down, like a, <laughs> you know, as a farmer might. Snatch. A farmer might. Um, <laughs> lie down in the fields to collect points. And, and then... All the lazy farmers. Right? And then now you see, though, that you know, we get sheeple and we get, you know, cow know. people and carrot people. I'm sure I have fish people right there. Can I say there. I love that that is an awesome trend that we can basically create flat wooden representations of almost anything. And people go crazy. They go loopy yeah. over them. They uh, do. And then with people like Meeple Source, uh, you know, screening their meeples with, uh, with like pictures and items. Well, they have clothes. Right? 
Um, yeah. and, and I mean, the first time I saw that really well done was like the stickers in Rampage in Attack on Meeple City. Terror on Meeple City. So yes. they all look different. Yeah. yeah, they all look different. That was super cool. Uh, and so I, I think that um, that's taking it to the next level, right? Do people want more representation of that kind of image on their board game table? Or is a Meeple enough? Or is a pawn enough? And then we get into standees, which are sort of these in between Meeple and miniatures, right? They're still flat. In fact, they're very, very, very flat. But you have art. Yeah. Yeah. It gives you a chance to profile art in a way that you can't do it. You, you can't even profile the art in the same way with you know actually fully rendered 3D pieces like you can with standees, because um, unless you take it to the degree where you're going to actually paint them and do a lot of that work yourself. But you get full color, full illustrated, you know, with a lot of personality art through standees that, you know, they're obviously they're more cost effective. You want to get into the, the uh, discussions of, you know, where do you want to spend your money? But, but the art itself can really be featured in a significant way on a standee that you really can't do with, with a meeple or, or a pawn. And, you know, but you don't have to put all the work in that you generally would have to with fully uh, cool, uh, sculpted and tooled 3D pieces that generally have to be painted on their own. And I mean, I don't know if we want to get into the whole idea of the hobby, the craft side of it, and oh, what. Oh, sure. Um, well, well, I think we'll get there. We start offer. talking about like uh, that's, that's war minis, part of it, right? I, yeah, I think that's a huge part of obviously evolution of that happened there. Yeah. So let's go <laughs> talk about standees for a bit longer because I find them super cool. So a lot of people have been, you know, making standees. I mean, like, what is the first standee that you remember playing a game with when you were a kid? I, I it's not my first, but one that I always find funny because this game is like horrible. Or some used to play it all the time. Uh, there was this really old Ninja Turtles pizza game. Oh yeah, I remember it. Yeah. <laughs> and I, we used to fight over which Ninja Turtle to be, but it was a stupid standee. Yeah. I remember. I think a lot of licensed games back in the day that were sort of still mass market ones yeah. would use standees for the characters because it was That's just much more cost effective. If you look yeah. at like and the stuff the that, yeah. yeah, but you get you get the art. So if someone's making a game with you know superheroes or you know Star Wars characters, you want to see those characters, mm -hmm. and they weren't going to spend the money back in the day to put fully rendered 3D characters in the game. So standees were a great way to get your you know your Spider-Man or your Luke Skywalker or your Darth Vader in your game so that you could actually, you know, see on a, on a tabletop that visual that you have in your head. That's really cool. Uh, Jamie Jones is just saying that uh, Stratego uses standees and he's right. And they use standees in the best of ways because they use standees to obfuscate the information on the other side of it. Uh, and then that's been, you know, extrapolated into like Columbia block games, war systems, where you can actually use the standee mm -hmm. and rotate it. Uh, to rotate the standee to show how many hit points are on that particular unit, though you don't know what type of unit it is because you can't see the attacking side. So that's cool. That's a, that's, that's actually design worthy. The other thing I've seen lately is is see through standees, where yeah, the acrylics. Yeah, where they're acrylics and they have really nice um, outlines, which is fine. Uh, and they're usually die cut outlines, but then all the art is as if it was not on a background. So it's like it's floating in space, which looks really great. And the other thing that you can do with the art that you can't do necessarily, or maybe don't want to do as much with stickers on a meeple is you can show the front and the back really easily. And I think that's also kind of interesting and might be more interesting for something where, you know, facing is important mm -hmm. and it's, 
very much a real facing uh, versus a meeple. Well, meeples have facings, but a pawn, like a round pawn, is, it's hard to have a facing on there. And even for some of the war games that are on round bases, it's, it's <laughs> depending on if you're using facings and front firing arcs and stuff, you have to notch a base or something like that to show that type of thing. Whereas a flat standee, you can do that with. Um, and so well, I guess. Well, and, and now, yeah, they. Uh the i think the technology for making chipboard that you can punch out and assemble has gotten a lot better and people have like experimented with a lot more so you can do you know multi-piece chipboard you know, standees so now you actually get some more dimensionality out of it i'm thinking about like like bosk you have your trees but you know, which are standees but you know they're, but they're, they're you know, they have a crisscross yeah. section so they create more of a dimensionality they don't have to be flat anymore but they're still I would call them standees. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, essentially they are because they're. I mean, they're play pieces. They represent you. Your, you know what I mean. Yeah. Your trees. Your trees. You're just. You're a whole flock of them. I speak for the trees, just like the Lorax. <laughs> There you go. Um, here's the thing. Zach Conley says, I'm so over minis. I want standees with gorgeous art and lower mm -hmm. the cost of your games. Minis always feel like an Etsy project. That's that's do a we, funny thing. Do we want to talk about cost now? Yeah, sure. Let's go into all about the minis. Let's talk about the minis. Erica, what do you got right. for us? I was going to say, why don't we at least start with, I think, the credit where credit's due for this sort of thing where it exploded. And I think a big part of this is Warhammer. I think a lot of what we're seeing right now that's considered almost like standard is really from them. And that's like the birth of Simon in tons of ways, like all that, just that like minis culture that grew up around like people investing in like whole armies and what that meant. And like, I mean, I remember I had a lot of big Warhammer fan, uh, friends growing up. I used to help like train boards. I wasn't into the minis. I was into like, I, I, I did them for competitions. I never actually went to, they took them for, they took them. I was like, I don't know. They never invited me, but I made boards for them. Anyway. Um, oh, poor Erica. <laughs> I don't know. It's just my life growing up, I so guess. So for those of you out there who are going to go play Warhammer, invite Erica. That's what she's saying. So, okay, this is the side. So you know, there, it, I don't know if it still exists, but there's technically an actual character named after me in Warhammer. What? Okay, wow. so... Uh, so my friend, my friends growing up and uh, what one of them, though, is like because the Internet and things, chat rooms and things. We're a friend from Germany, too. And so they invented the Tyranids. Oh, and okay. so, uh, which eventually got, you know, attached to the universe. And so the one of the queens in the Tyranids is the worst possible way to spell my name. But it actually okay. is Erica, but it's A-R-Y-K-K-A-H. So but it's the Queen Erica. Really? That's, that's me. I'm going to have to Google that later. Yeah. I, I don't know if it still exists. It did. It did. But this is like, I don't know when I was like 16, right. 17, something like that. Well, but to, I think to, to pivot off your point, obviously Games Workshop and uh, the Warhammer universe uh, had a lot to do with the explosion of minis. But I remember uh, when I first started doing RPGs you know, way back, I don't know, 25, 30 years ago, uh, the D&D minis were a huge part of it as well, and as an extension mm -hmm. of the the experience and the crafts. And I know, Sen, you said you don't really prefer to play RPGs, tabletop uh, stuff with minis. You'd rather just yeah. kind of imagine it in your head. Yeah. Uh, but I but I remember uh, when I first started doing role playing games that. A lot of times I think I would actually get inspired to make a character based on a mini that I saw that was cool. You know, when you just, I just remember going to the hobby shops and looking through all the pegboard racks and finding all the different characters and like, oh, this is a cool figure. I want to play this guy. 
and going back and saying, okay, you know, figure out what that character is. Was he, uh, you know, a paladin or was he a wizard or was he a thief? And I'd be interested to hear what everybody's thoughts are about the, the craft of, of minis and how that influences, I guess, their decisions and their experience in the game, you know, in, uh, not just in having it on the table, but assembling the pieces, painting them, customizing them, uh, that sort of as an extension of the expression of yourself. Oh, that's, that's a fair point. It's like it's, it's multiple experiences at once. Mm -hmm. If you're someone who is a minis painter, because we just had a comment, I don't know where it went down. Someone's saying, but but minis are so much work, you have to paint them. And so obviously there's two sides of the fence where it's like the, oh, you have to do that. Or like, yeah, I get to do that. And I guess it depends on where you follow, because if you're into the painting of them, then I, I think you have multiple levels of enjoyment that you're getting out of this. And you might eat like whatever you thought of the game or the experience or whatever, it's like combined over all of it. Is that much more? It was for me, definitely. When I uh, when I was playing D and enjoyed actually painting my figure and like making it even more personal. You know, just by picking like what color was the outfit gonna be. You know, what how did I want to um, depict everything? And then when I got into doing Games Workshop stuff, I really enjoyed the the craftsmanship of it. I loved painting minis, and I mean, I I got pretty good at it so much so that people would commission me to paint their stuff. I was terribly slow at it. So <laughs> I probably got paid at the rate of like 50 cents an hour and how quickly I could <laughs> paint stuff and, and the going rate for things because nobody wanted to pay a lot back then. So like, I'll give you, you know, $5 a figure, $10 if it maybe was like a mounted figure and you had to paint a horse also. That was um, horses. Yeah. So I got to the point where it's like, just let me paint your general or let me paint your standard bear. That's all I want to do. The craftsmanship of it was a big part of it. I had a uh, at least 3,000 points of Space Marines. That's a lot of Space Marines. Um, yeah, space Marines were very, were very popular. And they were they were the primer Grey Legion for many a year. <laughs> I, I can't paint. Well, it's, it's not that I can't paint. I don't have the patience to paint. Uh, and it's not that I don't have the patience to paint, really. It's that I'm a perfectionist. And it's really hard to get your miniatures done well and quick and fast. And like all those things, you know, combining into that perfect Venn diagram. So I would just paint somebody. I would just paint somebody. I would pay somebody who was much better than me and also had an airbrush to do my painting. Uh, he actually he actually now works for the company that makes catacombs. And yeah, he would paint all my stuff, my friend Henry, and he was happy to do it and I was happy to pay him because I got I you know, I just wanted to play. What I love doing with miniatures though, and like Erica, I was a terrain builder, I built all this terrain. Love doing that. Uh, but I liked kit bashing. I liked like taking the marines, like adding stuff to them. And that to me was personal enough. Uh so yeah, that's my tech marine with the extra arm off his back and he and then people got they had to make mod rules because some people like that no uh, you know what i yeah i think well they did but i think that it actually like that i think is what becomes really cool about it is that if mm -hmm. you are they, this represents your army you do want to customize them and i get that people like started you know it, yes it's it's part of the game you have to be careful about what you add and the and they be they came down to a whole percent of like certain figures and if you, it has to be a certain percent of that figure to count it's it got silly but i think it's because people worried like the rules would be broken it's kind of like just let it be that character you know what i mean like you added a little extra i don't treat it differently but i mean i guess that comes down to can you make up your own stuff or do you have are you supposed to stick with the rules well i mean it was a really interesting thing back in the day in the warhammers warhammer when warhammer was like huge in the 90s uh there were standing rules in terms of not only from warhammer 
like headquarters in terms of what stores could carry. So stores back in the day, if you carried Warhammer, you had to carry a shelf of each thing. Like just because the yeah. people in your area wanted to play Eldar and orcs and humans, that didn't matter. You still had to carry Chaos Marines. You still mm -hmm. had to carry every like at least one of each model. And every time you ordered, they would check to see, well, you don't have this. We're just going to add it to your order. And uh, it became a really big sticking point in the industry in terms of sales and things like that. Um, there's also, I mean, Forge World, if you know Warhammer, then Forge World is like the next level of Games Workshop stuff that you can't get. Like you cannot actually get it unless you go to official tournaments and conventions and things like that uh, to get like these extremely highly detailed, very expensive models that nobody else is going to have but they're official and they have stats cards and things like that so that's what a lot of people will do as well it's the kind of game where you can buy your way into you know a good army uh versus because the rest of it's really luck well a lot of it's luck. it's like thousands of dice flying across the table there is some skill in terms of you know because you have stat to, balances and things yeah well that and the army building is is like so meta and fun but you have to go from the eye view of the the miniature right so your line of sight is traced from the miniature's eye line eye line pretty much so you're, you're kind of doing all that kind of stuff which is more of like a physical spatial rotation spatial distance skill and that's kind of interesting uh, and I think that's the only reason why why miniatures mechanically can be any different than a lot of the other ones, right? Um, is there a mechanical difference between miniatures and a standee? Only of the game rules state there is, right? So, uh, Andrew, I, have, you, have you played X-Wing, Andrew? Uh, a little bit. Not that much. Eric, have you played X-Wing? I've only really watched it played. I haven't played myself. Okay. Are you getting to the idea, like that, because there's an actual physicality to the pieces on the table, it changes the experience, and the rules are actually crafted around the physicality of it. I mean, I think yes. about things there like even uh, HeroScape. You know, anything that has like terrain and and elevation yeah. and, and height, what stuff their like that. abilities are. Yeah. Now, now the actual physicality of the figures matters mm -hmm. in that. Like, can somebody see over a hill? You know, can somebody scale something in one leap or do they have to take two movements because of how big the piece is? Yes. Yeah, that's, that's something that miniatures do that I think is interesting and unique that um, you can't really replicate in any other way is by mm -hmm. having an actual physicality. Now you can make that impact the game in interesting ways. Right. Things like, like range and height and, you know, the differences between uh, the, the actual, you know, physical representations on the table. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jamie Jones is talking about Gaslands, which uh, uh, we had talked about a little bit before, too. Uh, maybe before the show started that uh, Gaslands is a game where you use like Mattel Hot Wheels cars and stuff like that. And you kit bash them. You add weapons and ram plates and armor and extra gas and all that kind of stuff to these kind of post-apocalyptic Mad Max styles cars. And other than that, it's just using a template system that is very similar to X-Wing. Um, and that is another really fun way of getting involved in miniature gaming because it's not as necessarily expensive. Just go to a go down the street to a garage sale or to a thrift shop and buy all the uh, you know old Hot Wheels because you're going to bang them up anyways, ridify them. So there's, there's some neat stuff, though. Mm -hmm. well, something else that just occurred to me yeah. that miniatures or actually like figures on a table being involved to create a unique experience is something like flick em up right where you know that now everything is has a physicality to it and your piece your character on the table running around going into the saloon or you know in, in and out of the bank and actually having to 
to physically interact with that with the pieces that you flick at them is you know is a different extension of having an avatar on the table creating new game systems around that aspect right it's funny you said that because i think david just posted you can't flick minis or something like that like oh, as an experience I, I well I I made that that's I think that's or something along the lines of that I was like yeah. that's funny timing. said you can flick a standee mini like I think you meant maybe I'm more of anger I wasn't sure but yeah, yeah. Um, well, you can even oh, flip them now oh. too right there's like flip ships yes there's flip ships. but that's more of a shape thing no, no, uh, that's just you, a that's just a piece of cardboard isn't it yeah. right but that's yeah. your ship right yeah 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 yeah, yeah. as, well, as, gonna... as a standee. Yeah. Well, I, I was going to say, what's interesting is like, it's it's great that we can like come up with mechanical differences for like, you know, let's say the abstract versus like the the more realistic minis kind of idea. But what another interesting thing is, is I think it, whatever you represent yourself as an, as an avatar in a game already kind of makes or tells you a lot about what that game's going to be about. Like, I think we make a lot of assumptions about a game immediately when we see what kind of player pieces we are. And I wonder how much that is natural or how much that is because of previous games. Like if you walked up to a game and you saw just a whole bunch of colored meeples, you'd already have an expectation that'd be very different than if you walked up and saw a bunch of different minis. And it oh. funny enough could be the exact same game. Mm. Yeah. But the, with the, the feeling would be, yeah. So I wonder if where that factors in and where that maybe came from. Well, I mean, again, probably from historical use of miniatures in like Napoleonics in war games and Warhammer all the way up there where I, there tends to be this linkage anyways in, you know, gamers of our rough age, you know, in the thirties and forties and fifties uh, of years of age, um, not when we were born <laughs> that uh, link like miniatures to war games and war games to randomness mm -hmm. and dice uh, and range finding and all that type of stuff. All the, you know, the, the trappings of a, of a tabletop war game. And so now that we're seeing them, you know, in miniature in miniatures in board games where that kind of stuff isn't necessarily there in the same mechanical sense, I think the sense that like, it's probably shifting towards, you know, what style of game is it? Um, although you'll find a lot of people who, you know, might be more quote unquote Euro snoots who will like say, no, I always prefer wood. I'll always want wood over plastic, always wood over plastic. Right. I think a mm -hmm. big part of that is when you think about euros, like we really are going back to that abstract idea mm -hmm. and at, at its core, it's a lot of the times that is its aesthetic. Like it might have a very, you know, it could have a beautiful box, but most of what's inside the pieces, the tangible pieces have a very have have a very that very abstract feel like as we said they're cookie cutter versions of something or something to represent that that I feel like that's what that's be, uh, that's sort of what they now represent that if you took that away I think then people as they said it doesn't feel right it's like it, it's become such a connotation to what that yeah means. so are we are we looking at the spectrum from like super abstract to super concrete with the miniatures being like super concrete i think that's pretty concrete right? it's, i'm telling you the, what that looks the like meeples right? being somewhat somewhat more towards the abstract or maybe even a the middle step above a disc yeah right <laughs> a step above a disc um oh here's a neat one uh zach Connolly said that item meeples just didn't land for him uh which are the ones, the ones from the gamelin on. gamelin yeah. games where they mm -hmm. have little almost like lego-like hands where you could stick things in there um and he's saying they didn't really work for him what did you guys think of them did you ever play with any ga any games with the item meeples 
I play with the people, not the games. But that's your part. Yeah. point is maybe the, when does it become a toy mm. or a gimmick? Right, right, right. You know, is it, well, and I think that it it lends to the interesting question of when do people choose to include minis in games purely to elevate the perceived value of the game mm-hmm. when people could say, I could have played this game and had standees or cubes or whatever, and I would have had the same experience, but you wanted to sell me a $60 game instead of a $20 game. Right. And I had it, you know, in this day and age, how do people feel about that, both from the design side, but on the consumer side as well? Zach Connolly yeah. is saying, it's yeah. a big gimmick. And in some things, I think that's true. I think what's happened is, is it's when markets reverse themselves. So I think people were dictating the market and they were kind of saying, minis, minis, minis. We love these things. We love the flash. We love this. And, and then finally publishers are like, okay. And then they all started doing it. And we're like, wait a minute. They don't all need minis. It's right. like, it's some, you've got to take it back. And so I think that also becomes, again, is are we saying that purely from a cost standpoint or is it, there really is something we we intrinsically feel about certain di- like different types of avatars saying, well, that's what this type of game is. Mm-hmm. I, w- I yeah. wonder how much of that is really a factor. Or to your earlier point, you you create a company like Cbon where they've created an entire business model around the minis, even so so much so that it's like baked into the name. Right. And yeah. you oh. know you have to look at what they're what they're trying to do now. And, you know, say, you know, they, they feel like they're either forced to put minis into games where maybe you didn't really need them. Uh, like, for example, I know Wacky Races, uh, I think, just came out. Um, yeah, like they're coming in. And, and, uh, or it's coming out very soon. And I played it and it's fun. You know, would it be just as good if you had, you know, flat pieces with art for the different Wacky Racers or standees instead of having all these, you know, fancy minis? The minis are great and the game is fun, but could they've gotten away with not doing it or they feel stuck because that's the expectation for their brand? Right. I would say just for that example, maybe for other things don't need minis, but for that example, you've taken a classic franchise that doesn't have any product. And again, maybe we're talking about toys again here, but it, it doesn't, but it still has a huge nostalgia factor of people who couldn't get these figures when they first came out with the Hanna Barbera ages, right? So all of a sudden you have this chance that in one go in a box, you have every one of these characters that you, you know, you liked or grew up with, and now you have a representation of them. And mm-hmm. I, I would say for other things, absolutely. And I mean, even to that point, I think that's why Simon is trying to expand their brand to have other lines in it because of this mini limitation where they want to be like, okay, we need something that doesn't have minis. We need lines that can do that. We can't always be doing minis. But still lines that keep with their, their, um, not necessarily toy factor, but table presence factor, right? Yes, yes. They're still looking for table presence, and I'll be fair, they're start, they're kind of looking for toy. Uh, but it's, not, it's, it's not just not where everyone's going. Like, everyone's mm-hmm. going there. If people want to say, like, okay, well, I need a line for almost every type of person, right? But yeah, I, I think there is something to that, that more and more there are games that are becoming kind of like a way of getting merchandise in its own way or like a collectible set and i mean i'm you're always hoping the game is good too but i don't think there's necessarily we can't discredit that because obviously that's filling a need for a lot of you know what i mean like it's its own thing i think at this point maybe slightly separate from minis sorry 
Well, no, definitely when you look at what some companies are doing and um, I mean, Andrew works for one of those companies um, that, well, that, well, that hinges on nostalgia in a way, right? That there's definitely, mm -hmm. absolutely. There's def yeah, absolutely. There's a, there's a target market out there right now of, of people who are in their 40s and 50s with disposable income who want something from their childhood. So hell yeah, we're making He-Man the game, right? Did, that was a guess. I don't know that for sure. We are we are not making He-Man the game, but to but to your point, things like that definitely are are in our wheelhouse. And you know what we did, you know, a couple years ago with the thing, infection of Outpost Thirty One. Actually, that's a that's a really good point because I remember when we were developing that game, I asked everyone, "Does this because that game has minis? Like you have a character, it has a little mini, and and I said, it, but it's a social deduction game." And you know, the mini just represents like a location that you're in and you just kind of bounce back and forth. So does that game need minis? Probably not. But you know, when we talked about it during development, you know, everyone said it's gonna add to the experience. So even though it might feel a little bit super, super yeah, that's a hard word to say, superfluous. superfluous. It, it's good to add value to the experience, not mm -hmm. just add value to the product itself, but actually add value to the experience. And I think that's where you have to ask yourself, if I include a mini, something that feels a little bit more immersive, does it uh, fulfill that promise of creating a, a better experience? And I think in, in the end with the thing, it did, because mm -hmm. does it and, and serve a huge role? No, but does it make it an elevated experience? Yeah, I think so. We did the same thing with Big Trouble in Little China, right? When Big Trouble in Little China came out from um, everything epic, so Daryl and I did a lot of the development on that. Those miniatures, there's, there's, they could have been standees, they could have been flat pieces of cardboard, but people really wanted the miniatures because there's never been a thing at all for Big Trouble in Little mm -hmm. China until the card game came out and that board game came out. So. And that was in there at the right age, like 40 years old, 45 years old, people who have are, li are basically going through their midlife crisis, if you want to talk about that, <laughs> oddly enough, uh, who are like, yes, I'm going to reinvest in my childhood. I love that movie when I was 12 or whatever. And like, hey, I love the game when I was 12. I'm not in a midlife crisis. <laughs> You're getting there. You're getting there. Uh, <laughs> okay. It is coming, people. It's coming. Um, a couple of things. Ming Yang Lu said, um, <laughs> you mean like the TMT, TMNT game with a bunch of unnecessarily duplicate minis and cost $200 all in one go as a as I mean, a, they, a they were, some of those minis were cool. Some of them were just too much, mm -hmm. too many. I th yep. Do you think it is indicative of <laughs> sort of chasing the trend, especially on Kickstarter right now, where <laughs> to garner a lot of attention, you have to throw a whole bunch of plastic in a box. And, I, I and definitely think it's a model. I don't know. Sometimes I, I wonder for certain well, certain uh, Kickstarters if if it's kind of like more minis make it seem like some super exclusive, like just something so grand rather than just yet another common game. Yeah. At the risk of, of the risk of annoying sure. James Hudson, who's a very good dear friend of mine, I'm gonna. Post I think we have to say it because it was talked about a couple times. Here we go. The Grim Forest did not need minis and should have been half the price, says Jamie Jones. And then up here we get Zach saying Grim Forest was fun, but could have been a box of cards. With that said, they keep the price way down. 
Oh, I have a good example of that. Yep. Sure. And then Jamie um, Jones says, yeah. "Agreed." I just never took ninety percent of the minis out of the box. So, let's let's mm. use the Grim Forest as a kind of case study without knowing everything behind it. Uh, James, if you're on there, I want to talk about it. Let's. You can hop on. You got a I better, better one. one I think okay. it, All right. Did you guys go. Did you guys see Hop? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yes. You want to I, talk about something that had nothing to do with the game at all? I use those miniatures for other games. <laughs> I use those miniatures for another game too. <laughs> but no, but it, literally that game was should have been a deck of cards in the rings. Mm -hmm. To now have a three-tiered stand with six full-colored plastic minis that were heavy and about this big. I'm sorry. I think like I'd be like, mm, not Grim Forest. Like I would immediately hate Grim Forest. Yeah, it, it's to your earlier point. It's a question of blurring the line. And it's like, are you selling a game or are you selling toys that have a game roughly attached to it attached to it yeah and i and think it, yeah, that's a bit of both right so um grim force is a good game it mm -hmm. may be overpriced for what it was but actually uh from talking to james it was actually underpriced for you know what he probably should have priced it at there's a lot of plastic in that box for the price that you got it for mm. um and I think if, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to pull words out of James's mouth. Um, and James, you can tell me later if I'm right. But I have the impression that he might have done that to make a splash. It like was it was good looking. It looks good on a yeah, table. It, it was a it was lot cleaner. Just like Gloomhaven for Isaac is was the first print run. Yep. Probably barely paid for itself. And now? And now it's like, like number one. Super, and cult, right? super cult classic, right? So well, I, mean, I, I say cult because it's like, a huge hobby. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, and I'll happily, you know, point that figure back at myself too, you know, with, with Thanos rising, you know, people will say like, did you need to have this, you know, <laughs> the giant, giant mini? Thanos <laughs> okay, that was a little in the middle of the but, table. But it was that, that kind of awesome. It. Right, so it's so thank you, right? It like doesn't do anything. It pivots in one of three facings to denote a direction to kind of trigger a little bit of action. That's all it does. But does it, it create like a great table presence? And no, yeah. It's a clapper and it spins. Yeah. Snap, there were snap. people who said, oh, I want to put it on like I've I've seen people like mod it out and put it on like a, a lazy Susan base with colors and stuff on, on the base to kind of give it more presence. So again, that gets back to sort of the kit bashing stuff and elevating your experience by taking what's in the box and customizing it. But it to also to I think a lot of people's point, the table presence, especially when you're going to be playing these games out in social settings, I think is really important yep. to draw other people in. So including what might be superfluous pieces in the actual mechanics of gameplay, but uh, again, elevate that table presence, that experience, like draw people in, in, make yeah. it more, make it more, again, I keep saying, but like make it more immersive. You know, that's what people want nowadays. I think they, they want more, more ways to kind of, you know, I don't know, trigger the imagination and giving, giving you some crutches to help you along to add to the experience, I think are okay. And, you know, it net out as a good thing, even if mm. it does mean our games are going to get a little more expensive. Yeah. I, and you know, I was going to say, I just as really quick aside that it just occurred to me is that, you know what I mean? Like we're always looking for people who want to play games. And a lot of times, you know, especially cons are a good example of this, where you're going to put out a game and you're hoping people are going to come play with you. There is something about games that have crazy presence that'll actually bring other people to you. And I'm not saying this is a huge factor in why they're made in the first place, but I never really thought about the fact that it's like they could do that, though. Like, there is a power to that. Yeah, it's just why, why do we all prop the box, the game box cover up? We all do it. Why do we yeah. do that? Mm -hmm. 
just to advertise for other people, hey, we're playing this game, come play it. Because a lot of the Euros that we play have nothing on the table other than some board and some cubes, right? Yeah. yeah. It's a board, and it's a board that's usually of the Mediterranean or Europe or something, right? So, oh, uh, this is the question I wanted to ask was, are miniatures a hobby or lifestyle? guess it depends what you're doing <laughs> well the idea is like are you buying these are you buying a game and you're just tricking it out as part of the fun like people do that with uh you know they go to like meeple source and things like that and they get like a crazy minis and like screen printed ones now and things like that like it's not really different or is it more like you're doing it like you have huge minis collections that you're painting and mm -hmm. i feel like there's a bit of a distinctive difference there yep oh for sure that's what i wondered what do you think Andrew? Yeah, I, I think it's it's an easy trap for people to fall into where it starts as a hobby and becomes a lifestyle yeah. uh, as they get immersed in that sort of subsection of the hobby community. You know, they're definitely the, you know, the miniatures gamers who take their craft really seriously and uh, it can become all immersive. I mean, I think of all the different memes that people post out there about not buying more games because I have games that I still need to finish painting and assembling or not buying, you know, more figures, but it's always sort of chasing after the new and then realizing you have just scores and scores of, of boxes and blisters of stuff that you won't even ever get to. And it becomes sort of this, this endless cycle of mm -hmm. trying to keep up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think it's a really good connection, uh, kind of everything we've been talking about a bit here, um, maybe going a little bit away from this last one, but kind of connected to what kind of things we're seeing maybe for the future is, is this idea of when minis or sand or, you know, avatar figures or might be taking that next step to almost that toy level. And so I think we wanted to kind of maybe because we got about 10 minutes, it's probably good to start talking about what's happening in the industry around this idea. And so one of the mm -hmm. big announcements is that Funko has now bought a publishing company or I guess Merge bought. What do we say? Bought. They bought. Acquired. Okay. Acquired. Acquired. There's the right word. They have a, they, well, but in addition, they it's sort of dual purpose in that they've announced that Funko is going to get into publishing board games. And in order to facilitate that, they bought a design house that has all those capabilities already baked in so they don't have to build that from scratch, which right. sounds like a good way to get into uh, the games industry if you are starting from square one, is just buy somebody already knows already what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, someone you already have a relationship with, mm -hmm. that you're ready to go. And I think that's a really important thing to talk about because one, whether or not this could become a trend, of these idea of these these larger even like toy companies starting to buy up other things and that integration and then two what kind of games does that mean and i'm not talking about licensing i'm really talking about physical pieces mm -hmm. what that could kind of end up meaning and i think that's part yeah, of yeah like is, the is the assumption that because it's funko they're gonna look to get into gaming using their brands that are already familiar with like the pop figures and it's just gonna be a pop figures game, game or are they going to do something different and unique and like and i guess none of us really know but yeah. it's i i think that that makes the the most sense because the brand is already sort of ubiquitous everybody has a handful of pop figures or hundreds or thousands <laughs> if they're diehard collectors and wouldn't you be excited about sort of extending the the life and use of those figures other than just putting them up on a shelf 
but then their value would go down. I'd have to. I was going to say, I, I'm wondering though. Okay, just just talking a lot from what I saw in Funko's booth at New York Toy Fair. Yes, a lot of the pop figures are out, but there seems to be a shift in product. So what mm. I'll say is, yes, they're putting Funko on some new stuff, like they've got the Pezzes they were showing and things like that. But all of a sudden, there's like they had like like I mean just regular product that would license and again not just talking about license but obviously they're stepping a little bit away or kind of like coming up with more venues of the, they have a softened version of the brand trying to create its own plushies now then they had the straight up like disney stuff that they were doing which were like backpacks purses things like that that didn't even have funko styling so it, it i don't know it's just really interesting to think that it's like what they might what the, yeah what they might be doing we shall see it's going it's going to be an interesting time uh and i've asked a couple of people what their thoughts are on funko entering the game space and you know no one really knows but it, a company that big is is sure to be a disruptor to the industry without much clout and that much name brand recognition i'm sure we're going to see something interesting yeah and, yeah yeah, and knowing the the people at Forge Brazan and what they're capable of, you know, they're they're a talented crew and they understand gaming in a in a pretty unique way, especially mm-hmm. across a lot of licenses. So obviously they're mm-hmm. lending their game know how to the licensing straight that that Funko offers, and it's going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, Travis, thank you for posting because. Travis posted this thing way back when, and he said, there's a time when most Euros looked like abstract, which were sophisticated and adult, a big rift from the American style game that looks like toys and were viewed as childish. There's a lot more crossover uh, between those two now than when I was getting into hobby gaming. Okay, so like we talked about before, is there a, a real link between what we put in the game, the assumed mechanics of that game, or the the population the target audience for that game has it shifted over the last little while or is it still is it still similar are there people who will never touch something because there's meeples in it are there people who will never touch something because there's plastic in it what do you think i mean i guess there could be a little bit you know what we maybe affectionately want to refer to being as a little snobbish about your genre Mm -hmm. Uh, but i i feel like that and i don't mean that affectionately people you know have love for certain things and we did say there is certain connotations when you see certain pieces come out of a box but i think it is is interesting to say that obviously there is some sort of shift happening a blend we're seeing more and more of these blended what we would have considered more classic european mechanics with something with a twist do you know what i mean and then maybe that's kind of starting to be reflected in this blend of the materials now that you have multiple types of figures being represented in maybe more than one way but maybe it's even going back to just what we were talking about with everything needs that wow factor these days like would just a a very average looking euro be fine you know if it wasn't completely tricked out with art or would i i think we're already trying to look for like that hyper visual anyway but now we're almost getting into does it have almost another dimension of visual and so you are seeing these 3d pieces in what might have been considered classic euros at one point but now it's like euro with a twist yeah a miniature yeah twist. I, yeah I, to me and i wonder how many other people have the preconceived notions about if you hear the word euro you you probably would never associate minis into the game you're going to assume it's wood and it might be cubes maybe it has meeples but they're kind of nondescript it's a lot of card and chip um and there's a particular audience that has an expectation for that and it has a particular aesthetic 
it, as soon as you start putting things like minis in games, the, the mechanics might be almost identical to what would be considered a Euro, but no one would call it a Euro anymore. It's like it, all of a sudden then it bleeds over into what I think people would call Ameritrash games. And it, I think a lot of it just has to do with the execution more so than the actual mechanics. Well, say Everdale might be a really good example that if you strip that down, that is a straight up just worker placement with, you know, card drafting, in which case, but you threw in, they threw in the 3D tree and the crazy bits and all of a sudden you have a very different looking game than what it is at its core. Mm -hmm. And what became really interesting, actually funny enough playing at Gathering, playing, especially like, cause I was playing with Andrew and with Sean and T and Sean and T didn't like it, but you did. And the funny thing is, I think that their expectation on what it looked like to how it played might've been the really big disconnect. Whereas I actually think mm. you like the combination of the two. Yeah, I think so. You think that if it had been kind of more stripped down a little bit For lighter on the theme, not as sort of fussed up with the components, they would have said like, well, this is just a, you know, a, a, a Euro using the same mechanics and not putting all the trappings of the the whimsical forest on it their That's their expectations would have met with their experience yeah i think so because again yes. we talk a lot about look right you look mm -hmm. at something you say it has this pieces i expect this it has these pieces i expect this and yes we're gonna have some overlap where maybe things do it really well and they don't and i wonder if that misconception will will be an issue for some people and maybe it'll go away as we blend more but i think that might be a really good example right there where it could be a problem yeah we want to call them like euro plus i say like can we call them like euro trash but that has a different meaning Not about, they already have another meaning for that yeah. <laughs> but i mean i agree i think i think a lot of the almost over toyification of, of board games is a pro and a con so i talked about gizmos with i think erica at one point where Gizmos originally was just cards and we played it with just cards and it was an all right game. I kind of wondered why Eric chose it, um, but then they put it out and it's doing well. And that's fine. It still has, well, because it has that hopper now, right? With a marble run. And it seems okay. I played it. It's all right-ish still. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how I feel about that one. I mean, everyone I, I was playing I with one... it a little bit. It improved it a little bit. Well, everyone I play with seems to want to love it. And there's a part of me that I think the same thing we were just talking about with Everdale with what I was seeing the disconnect with other players was a bit for me where I'm like, oh, I'm programming. Okay. Oh, I'm programming with marbles. Okay. Yeah. It, it added, I think we all have a similar experience with Gizmos in that it felt like the marbles and the hopper and the experience was created partially, I think, to reinforce the theme. It's an old bag pull, kind yeah, of. Yeah, but, but partially just to kind of separate it from the core mechanics and try and create some points of differentiation. That's right. Those marbles could be cards. You could just draft off of a row. You don't mm -hmm. need all of that, but you're trying to create a point of differentiation. And that's what I think a lot of this really comes down to nowadays is because there's so many games coming out. You have to find something to make your game stand out. Even if it's sort of smoke and mirrors, if it looks different, even if it plays the same, whether you're using marbles or cards, it's enough to garner more attention. Mm -hmm. If we're going back to the design of all this kind of stuff, is there mm -hmm. a design space where you would pick miniatures over all the rest of the things for Combat. an avatar? <laughs> Combat, okay. 
you know what again I think, I think it's a com a, 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 like a connotation thing and so like you know what i mean like if it, it, i think that's a big thing with x-wing too you're gonna make me be a pilot space give me the freaking vehicle you know what i mean like give me the give me the toy almost like mm -hmm. I, maybe that's actually what it is at this core like you know what i mean when we're playing with action figures and we're playing like war with gi joe or playing like cars like you know crazy races with hot wheels well it's kind of like minis became the the rule-based version of that same type of play oh for sure you yeah. know and and maybe 100%. that's yeah. Oh, yeah oh yeah yeah what i i've kind of landed upon recently when thinking about games with minis and a tabletop experience and what it is is i feel like it's an adult form of when we used to play with you know, Transformers or GI right. Joes or, you know, Hot Wheels as kids, we, where we put a rule set on those. Mm -hmm. And now we've sort of given ourselves permission to do what we did just with our imagination and making things up when we were kids. Because, like, you and I wouldn't sit down and at, just like as two adults. <laughs> right, right, we might. We cars. might. Okay, we, we might because we we're ridiculous. But uh, real life, right. real real people don't do that. No. We're just right. saying. If you put it in a box with a board and some rules and some other components. All of a sudden, it's legit. <laughs> kind of. Yeah, or you're allowed to, to play it. Yeah, yes. You're allowed cool. to play it as an adult. Because you're entering the magic circle of play, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Is there any rule, is there any type of game where you where you wouldn't want a miniature? You say no miniatures at a all. Card game. <laughs> a tile, like I, I, some some basic tile games where you honestly don't need a mini of any kind to signify it, but there's some chunker in there that shouldn't be there. I don't know. It's interesting because yeah. because we, we're uh, coming up in March. Ooh, just coming up really soon. Um, our game Simplicity or well, it's Complexity now is coming out uh, on, on Facebook. That has oxymoronic. On, those yeah, no, right? on, uh, on Kickstarter. And uh, now because it's about building alien complex, but it's a simple game. And, you know, the Jason uh, Mohan from Big Kid Games, who's listening, uh, is the publisher. And we are we are literally trying to think of ways, you know, how do we make this more visually appealing to stand out on the mm. table? Because it isn't a very complex game. It's complex in your decision. It's simple in the rules. The rules are like, pick up a tile and play the tile. You're done. That's, those are the rules, right? Uh, there's some rules for how you place them and how you score them later. But he, you know, he really does need for this game to be successful somewhat, something visual to stand out, something on the box that stands out. So we got Quan Chai to do the art, which is, you know, something that'll stand out. We got, uh, you know, some 3D models coming in for parts that we don't know if we're going to use them, but we need to try. Fair. It's, you'll be lost these days. Like, that's the thing. Mm -hmm. It's like, don't get me wrong. I really do think there is a big boom in gaming that is happening right now. But at the same time, there's a bit of a hobby glut. And so as that's happening, and it will, I, I do believe that there's more and more mass that's coming to hobby and that's going to start to pull things in different directions or maybe not quite there yet. So then there's a lot of competition for like what, could have been a great game might be completely overlooked now because somebody is louder even if they're not necessarily better which is kind of a sad thing i hate to say it's something maybe we're seeing a little bit with certain bgg sets too what might actually be really fun for the average person doesn't actually most of the time get good numbers on bgg oh, not or at things all. that sell really well don't actually normally get good numbers on bgg right. unless they're that evergreen that costs both barriers that's the only exception yeah it's yeah. so it's like what are they tracking and so I think that's what it becomes really interesting, right? On that level is like, well, what's the experience versus it looks really great. 
Oh, there's a lot of people who will say, you know, even if the game sucks, at least I have 100 new miniatures for my army. Yeah, why, maybe you know, that's people, enough. Well, they, uh, people ask me all the time, so what scale should I make my miniatures? It's like 28 to 30 millimeter standard. That's it. Don't make it's any in everyone else's army. bigger or smaller because that fits in everybody else's armies of every other thing, right? If you want them to be useful outside of your game and have a second life if your game is no good or they, people, somebody just doesn't like it because they don't like that game. Or a ton of wood, and you know, designers will get it for parts. <laughs> <laughs> it would be great to know. It would be great to know how many people, especially on Kickstarter, who back minis heavy games, actually just want the figures and don't. Really play the game. I mean, I, I definitely know people who have done it. Uh, so games that have like ridiculous amounts of figures, so like the Conan like games, Ghostbusters, like right, or Ghostbusters, people are just happy to get the figures because they knew they were gonna. Right? Well, no, Kingdom Death is expensive. It's, right, it's, but, but isn't it? It's all about the figures. Oh, it is, because the game is weird, so I don't I don't particularly like the game, so I don't But definitely the figures are very interesting. Yeah, so there, there's a bunch of things that, uh, you know, maybe if they had figures, they would do better. Maybe if they didn't have figures, they'd do better. It's a, it's a real You know what? You're right. There's, there's games that fall absolutely into both categories. Like, I will fully admit, uh, there was one I backed a while back on Kickstarter. I think it was called orphans or orphan something or other and a big part mm. of it was it actually looked it looked visually very interesting the storyline sounded cool it looked like it would be very thematic the minis look great and then you're like the minis do this duh duh so, yeah, so. they're just like placeholders, right? Mm -hmm. I was like, that's it? It could have been, oh. been pawns. Uh, I don't know. And, and that point, yeah, if the minis mean nothing, like nothing, I don't, I wonder, I wonder. I'll just say, and I think there's some really cool things we can get to eventually. Like, uh, I don't know if it's going to end up happening in a game I'm working on right now, but I was trying really hard for it, is one of the ones I'm doing right now, you have physical objects that your characters sort of like throw at each other. Yeah. And so I wanted to have it so the minis could, hold the objects in a certain way yeah. again i like we could get into like how minis and production are really problematic and what you can do and can't do and things like that but it, it is something that can you can start making things more and more interesting right. so it still looks like the guys will be in a certain position that the objects will sit the way I, potentially i want them to but they may not necessarily be able to hold them the way i wanted them to Oh, Jamie Jones is saying that the Son of Anarchy game, which is actually a decent game, uh, is selling well lately because the scale of the motorcycles is perfect for Gaslands. So that's that kind of example of what hey. a game hey. comes out as uh, and can be used in another one. I know, like people, people bought Korra just for the miniatures because um, there's no avatar. Like you know yeah, what I mean? Like when there's, there's no product for something and you're a fan, you're just like, oh, thank you for just making that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think we are starting to see a lot of that, especially because of the nostalgia licenses. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I will fully admit that something I'm working on right now could 100% just end up being like a display set on someone's shelf. Yeah. I hope not. Right. I hope not. But I know and that's going to happen too. Because when you, when you went to Toy you guys were just a Toy Fair and I think like 90% of the feeds that I saw from Toy Fair were like E-Man Masters of the Universe, you know, all these old IP things that people Beetle are- Beetlejuice is coming doing, back right? full power right now, guys. Right? So all these things that are coming back for whatever reason, because it's the 25th anniversary, right? For the 50th anniversary of this television show about a dog and whatever they have. Um, <laughs> TV nostalgia is coming back. Right? No, 
okay. Uh, so there's all sorts of stuff about I'm that. Petting, I'm petting Sun, like, secretly. Yeah, thanks. I'm just saying it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Single it's tier. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of cool stuff coming out because of nostalgia. Yeah. I think people do want that bust or that miniature, that maquette that isn't the 5,000. I, I was looking at Aliens versus Predator stuff the other day because doing a thing for something. As one does. Yeah, yeah as one exactly. does when you're doing research for game design. And there was uh, an alien, the dragon, the the dog runner. <clears throat> uh, and like it was like $1,500 for the maquette, right? And it's a big sizable thing, but imagine people who said, I really want one, but can't afford it. But then they get a game with it in it. What's like a $50 game? Oh, I'll spend $50 and get the war. And I get everybody. And the predator and whatever, right? So there, there's some really cool things out there um, that I think people are going to... Like, because the quality of miniatures is definitely higher than it, it ever has. Is it posable? Mm -hmm. No. But most of the maquettes aren't posable either. You get to change their hands and their head, maybe, right? Because you can pick them on and off. Yeah. Well, this brings up one, one I know we're almost out of time, but I this, it occurred to me this brings up a really interesting point that is more board game adjacent, but um, the idea behind the collectible figures but having game function for like Disney Infinity and the yeah. Amiibos. Yeah, yeah. You know, like a lot of people are never going to use those figures in the games, even though they have some in-game function, but there's a huge market for them out there. I have a full oh, of Skylanders. I, I have, I have some of that stuff too. I have some Amiibo, I have some Skylanders and I have some Disney ones purely because my kids thought they were cool and we picked them up cheap somewhere. They don't yeah. even own the system. Great, yeah, I do too. I mean, I've got here, whoa. You know, I've got these figures. I never played any of the Disney Infinity games. Is that but these figures are so cool. It does look like uh, Kim Possible. No, Black Widow. I was like, I'd be oh, so much go, more yeah. impressed if it was Kim Possible. I can say, how is that Kim Possible? <laughs> it would look like it for a second, yes. Yeah. So, yeah. so even as, you know, gamers and fans of IP, we're all self-admitting that we're buying figures for games and not even using them in the games. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> it always happens. Always happens. So about the like the standees. Where do you think a standee fits better? Is it is it just art related, cost thing? You know what? I think there's a there's an interesting thing, and maybe this goes back to the nostalgia of playing all those games as kids that had the little standy figures and stuff like that. And I'm gonna say King of Tokyo is a good example of this. Mm -hmm. I don't know <laughs> if I'd actually want it to be giant chunky minis. I kind of like the cartoony guys like going around the board and I don't know. I feel like it suits the feel of it. I, I almost think I would be upset if it was heavier and like it feels like a cartoon almost at that point, but like in a really fun way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, I, I agree. I definitely think there's there's better technology now. So if you've ever played the games uh, that um, have the miniatures where they're either plastic molded uh, in different colors of plastic. So there's like maybe three or four parts that they stick together and then they spot paint parts of it. What was that one? It was a, an arena, a little arena combat game with a big headed miniatures from France. Remember? Oh, that sounds familiar. Um, um, I got anyway. back late from New York yesterday. Yeah. I had brain power left. It's something arena. Something arena. arena uh, no, 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 no. That has standees, was, actually. Yeah. Um, like, it's those little fat-headed French things, and there's a comic. I know what you're talking about. Waifu. Yeah, Crossmasters. Okay, so Crossmaster miniatures. Uh, I, I was sure that because there's definitely people down in the feed that are saying, you know, as soon as it comes to me and it's gray plastic, I it just breaks my heart because I'm never going to paint it. Um, we don't have the skill or time. Yeah, mm -hmm. when Crossmasters came out with their multicolored plastic injection mold, 
fit them together. Little spot paint to look brilliant on the table. You can fix it up if you want. I thought people were going to go crazy over those things. Um, and I guess some people did. Uh, but like, imagine if they were that and colored for you know ip things um, oh my god they'd be like chibi figures ready to go yeah, 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 like, yeah. Done. and a lot of people a lot of people are asking even on our, our other new kickstarter that's coming up for kingdom rush they're saying oh are those going to be painted um because people just want them painted they want to play right out of the box um yeah. and a lot of people aren't into the hobby of painting who are board gamers I think so, if there's a chance that your game could be more accessible mass, something like that, I think it needs to come pre-colored. I think there is a very specific hobby group that would like to paint something. And you know what? Like Andrew even said, people trick out an already painted figure. You know what I mean? So they're willing to do it no matter what. I wonder if it's actually, unless you know what kind of gamer is buying your game specifically, but if it has a more wider possibility of audience i think you're better off already being colored i think there's going to be a, a large cost increase of course but uh, again this is travis, assuming costs aside right yeah travis down below is saying that he would have been really unimpressed if thanos was unpainted oh yeah they'd been like what the hell they cheaped out on toys and that was that was never in the cards like we always knew that the figure was going to have paint ops it was a question of like how many paint ops did it have and you know how could we do it affordably but also yeah. you know effective so that it communicated it i know you're you're talking about tricking out your figures and i've got like multiple painted thanos figures off to the left here including one that dave taylor dave taylor actually painted for me yeah that's hilarious did you um and, and then like even the the miniatures from samurai jack were painted as well right they came painted yes. and, they're, and they're really small too so yeah, i like have... i like their size I like, like yeah. there should be more, I think, things like that. It's it's nice and I don't know. I like. So tell us from a production standpoint, if you know, just ballpark, mm -hmm. how much more does pre-painting cost? You know, it, it can vary from game to game and print run to print run and stuff like that. It's uh, it's I think it's often something that the the publisher will kind of eat the costs on because they expect that the games will sell better if they come painted. It's, it's hard to have a, a hard and fast number for that kind of stuff. I wish yeah. it, it might be the difference between you have a, like Samurai Jack has six, six figures, figures, six or seven figures, I think. <laughs> and the, the cost of the figures might've been around, I don't know, like a buck 50. And there was an extra 50 cents to have them all painted. So, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, and then that's this is getting all sort of behind the scenes on it, but you know that idea obviously multiplies out and and adds to the cost, and then you have to say, well, what's the highest ceiling we can sell this game, like the kind of game it is and what it's for and who mm -hmm. it's for, and are they willing to pay forty dollars for it if the figures were painted, or would they be happier paying thirty dollars if the figures weren't painted? Right. Um, going back to what we were talking about with. Uh, Grim Forest, like it's got yes. a lot of minis that aren't painted. Would people have been happier if they were painted? Or, you know, do people like the fact that they can paint the figures if they want the option of it? I don't know. I think, I think the painting market is maybe, and again, except for, depends on the game, but I think the painting market might be the slimmer margin of people on a lot of games that I think mm -hmm. they prefer it was done. I mean, Jamie's saying that right now. He said X-Wing would not have the audience it has if they weren't painted. And I fully believe that. Absolutely. You would turn a ton of people off. They're like, I have to do what now? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Brad Bachelor's right. saying 
It's why he used to love the old HeroScape game because it came painted. Oh yeah, it's all the all the um, hero clip hero stuff too, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh all yeah, that, that would have been so annoying if you. Oh my god, like you, especially as they got into all the superhero stuff. You're like, I'm not gonna paint Spider Man. Like I just want him ready to go. Yeah, and, and uh, I mean, there there were definitely rules in Warhammer that you could not field an unpainted army, right? So. Mm-hmm. I think yeah, some of those old hangovers come along too. Yeah, well, I think with some publishers it's sort of baked into their brand though. Like I don't think Games Workshop could put out a game with minis that are painted. I just I don't think they could do it, even though but, <laughs> but that's because of where they came from, right? Yeah, like yeah, I yeah. would expect the minute you said that, you're telling me I'm painting them. Mm-hmm. And I mean Simon probably falls into the same camp. Yeah, do, do they really have any games with pre-painted figures? Not yet, but I don't doubt that's coming. Well, I, I mean it might it might come for like a if they have a kid's game, right? I think, yeah. They'll, yeah they'll, I, I think there's going to be certain games that they know their audience for, and those are the people that want minis, and the other ones are going to start going more mass. Cool. Well, look at the time. We are 20 minutes over, and we didn't really even talk about designing games with miniatures that much. That can we be sort of talked started. all around it. Yeah, we talked around <laughs> it. We could have a more focused conversation some other time about that. If you are interested in letting us know what we'd like to what you'd like to hear us talk about in the future uh please go to the meepa syrup page we're right over there and let us know who you'd like to see on the show talking about what subjects you'd like to hear about uh next week we are having john bridger who is a developer in california and we're going to talk to him about his role as a developer uh as a freelance developer specifically and how he has made that his life's ambition and how he's doing that full-time now so and then don't forget to vote for what game we're playing the week after the poll is up, and Sen will learn how to add more options next time. I, there is not. I checked on. I checked on the Facebook. There has to be. I've nope. never seen a poll in the week two. I checked on Facebook on the. Someone tells Sen how to make a poll with and more. It two. said you can only do two, and this was like as of last month. That's something we've never fixed. You can definitely do polls on Facebook that have more options. Not, a, not as your, actually... not as your status. Oh, not as a status, but as a. I don't like, know. As maybe, a as, maybe in a right. maybe as a group. Maybe in a group post. Maybe, I don't know. I don't maybe know. if you're a group member, but the group owner can't do it for some reason. I don't know. I'll figure it out. But yeah, because okay. I've definitely seen things with more than three, two options. Yeah. But not. But I was. Clear on there were always two options so yes and if you know how to make it more than two options that'd be great currently um, currently what we're doing is we're having an a pool and a b pool and the winner of the a pool will fight the winner of the b pool and we'll play that game and then so we'll march, go to deep dive about that one with march madness just early yeah right it's february madness. frantic february excellent all right so thanks andrew for jumping on at short notice thanks erica for Thank making all the questions and don't forget to join our group don't forget to join the group, uh, Meeple, Syrup Shop, Meeple Syrup Shop Talk, and uh, you'll hear from Zach and uh, Eric uh, as our moderators. So thanks very much for watching. We went way over time, and we'll see you guys next time. Check us out on the Facebook page. See ya. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Meeple Syrup Show. If you'd like to support us on all of our projects, please check out our Patreon page. We can be found at www.patreon.com backslash Meeple Syrup. Until next time, make some great games.